Hey, it's Ellen, and I just wanted to let you know that my new book, Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman, is out in the world now. This book provides encouragement and inspiration, but also a how-to guide of how to make a difference. It's a message that all of the amazing women in your life need to hear. So buy one for yourself and one for them today on Amazon.com or anywhere books are sold. Welcome to Step Up, the podcast where we learn to advocate like a woman. I'm your host, Ellen Troxclair. Each week, we talk to a different leader about how she became active in policy and politics. Whether it's joining an organization or running for office, I hope you come away feeling not only supported and inspired, but determined to step up and be a part of shaping your community and country. It's a pleasure to have here with me today, Hadley Heath Manning. She's the Director of Policy at the Independent Women's Forum. She's an expert on topics like healthcare, entitlements, and economic policy. And she was also named Forbes List 30 Under 30 in Law and Policy. In 2015, the Republican National Committee honored Hadley as a rising star. And she's also a mom to two young kids. Hadley, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Ellen. It's a pleasure. So tell us what you do at Independent Women's Forum. Yeah, Independent Women's Forum uh, is like 27 or 28 years old. It's an organization that um, is headquartered in Washington, D.C., although I live in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I started working there when I was actually a college intern. I spent a summer in Washington as an IWF intern. Uh And um, our mission as an organization is to advocate for public policies that aren't just well-intended, but actually enhance people's freedoms, choices, and opportunities. Um, And we touch on a variety of not just public policy topics, but sort of cultural topics. I think the thing that drew me to IWF when I was a college student was there was this report that IWF issued about uh, hookup culture on college campus. And that Ah. was something that I was like living through. I mean, Uh I don't don't want to say I was living through it, but it was was there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and then there was a book that I read uh, in college too called What Our Mothers Didn't Tell Us. And it was by Danielle Crittenden, who was affiliated with IWF at the time. And um, she started the premise of that book is like, you know, women have more choices, more opportunities than ever. And yet the generation of, of women uh, we see today is much less happy, uh, according to surveys, than were our mothers and grandmothers who, mm. you know, if you listen to the, the cultural narrative, were like June Cleaver and had to vacuum in pearls all the time. And so I, that kind of caught my attention because I thought, man, I really don't want to be unhappy. <laughs> I want to be a yeah. happy person and a happy woman. And so I found um, at IWF a lot of happy women. And I was like, I like working with these women. And I think part of the reason they're they're happy um, in general and satisfied with life is because um, at the core of a lot of our conversations at IWF is um, the reality of trade-offs. Um, and, you know, it's kind of um, it's kind of at the heart of, of being a conservative, too, I think, is just recognizing that reality is what it is. And we have to live with the, the reality that that we're given and, um, you know, make the best choices and do the best with uh, what we have and what we've got and celebrate the, the good things and be thankful for the good things. We've just lived through, you know, the season of, of Thanksgiving. And I think Thanksgiving is um, really a core conservative value. Um, and so that's what that's what we do at IWF. And I've been there almost 10 years. Um, it's amazing. Now, as the director of policy, I kind of get to oversee the, the positions we're going to take on different issues and decide, you know, what um, policy briefs and papers we're going to publish and, um, 
And so it's a really fun job. It uh, keeps me busy. Uh, it is, we kind of do, like I said, a wide gamut of issues and areas where we do research and commentary. And uh, so it's like the Pocahontas song, you never step in the same river twice. I feel like I never have the same <laughs> day of work. <laughs> yeah, always something are always new. new. Yeah. yeah right. Well, it's such a refreshing organization because a lot of the women's organizations out there are so far left leaning or or they or they say that they represent women, you know, like the Women's March. That's, that sounds great. It sounds like it represents all women. Right. Um, but then when you look at kind of the values and beliefs that they hold, it really they really aren't representative of all women. And so I got to know about IWF as uh, when I was on city council and y'all gave me the amazing honor of being recognized as a modern feminist. And that award, uh, you know, you, you have found women from across the country who are leading, leaning um, in, in a variety of capacities. And it was so nice to know especially since I was up against, you know, uh, sometimes beating my head against the brick wall uh, in Austin and a very liberal council being the only conservative. Like, it was so nice to know that um, there was some, that that I had the support of this organization, that there were other women out there who were uh, looking at these policy issues from, uh, from that perspective and really more interested in policies that work, not just talking points that sound good. So thank you for all you're doing in that capacity. Well, thanks. It does sometimes feel like a little bit of a David and Goliath situation, mm -hmm. IWF. I mean, when you look at the the funding and the size and just the sheer you know numbers that the left-leaning women's organizations have on us, for one thing, I like a challenge, so I kind of like it. It just makes me feel like our work is that much mm -hmm. more critical. Um, but we've got to have a seat at the table. You know, we've, there's Absolutely. so many um, women in our country. If you look at, you know, the way people vote and the way people respond to, to polling, there's so many women who um, are not well represented by today's quote unquote feminist movement. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important. You know, it's a uh, I always get frustrated when I feel like women are represented as cookie cutter. You know, this is what women want. This is what's right. important to women. It's right. Like, well, I'm sure it's important to some women. You know, and right. Different women might have different priorities or different views. And, you know, that's just we would never purport to say at IWF that we speak for all women. Um, we do say all issues are women's issues. <laughs> yes, we, exactly. We, we think that we're just a part of the conversation and we hope that we can be an important part of the conversation. Well, and I love that slogan, too, that all women, all issues are women's issues because because I care about, you know, abortion isn't or pro-life issues isn't the only thing that I care about or um, birth control pills. And a lot of times that's what you hear the focus is on when we're talking about women's issues. Like I care about tax policy. I care about, um, you know, <laughs> ride sharing and a lot of other things that I um, that I've had to deal with over my c career in public policy. Uh, but also just kind of as a mom and seeing my kids, you know, getting to an age where they're about to go to school. We both have three year old. Uh, our oldest children are three. So we share that, that our kids are about to kind of enter the world of uh, public schools and how we deal with that. So th th there's so much on our plates. And I, I want to go back to this idea of trade-offs. Um, you know, we often hear this idea of the wage gap, right? That women aren't paid as much as men. Uh, but really, when you look deeper into the numbers, you, those statistics don't take into account trade-offs. Like I you might value being able to work from home. You, a, a mom of, you know, five might 
who's homeschooling her kids may, might not want to be at the office the late hours and might turn down a promotion because she doesn't, um, you know, she doesn't want the additional responsibility and the additional pay that, that might come with a promotion and, and, and vice versa. Maybe there's women out there who, who think the opposite, but it, but the thing to remember is that it's all what we fought for and what we had, the flexibility and freedom that we have that are, that some of our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers didn't have is that we have the opportunity to decide what is best for us. Um, and that's a very individual and personalized decision that depends on your own upbringing, your own family and what you want for your own career and your own future. Yeah. I mean, let me tell you about this conundrum that we run into at IWF a lot, and I think you'll you'll appreciate this. So like people who are more right leaning, who tend to be more conservative, will often challenge, you know, the the premise of our existence at IWF. Like, why do we need a women's organization? Because conservatives tend to think that, well, we're not men or women or um, black or white or, you know, we're all just Americans and we're all individuals. And that is true. I, I agree with that. We are all individuals and you can never have, you know, you don't want to put people in boxes based on their group identities. We don't strive to play identity politics at IWF. But we also recognize, on the other hand, that um, there are some inherent differences between men and women. And um, we seek to communicate um, effectively about the things that um maybe not all women care about, that many women care about, and in a context that appeals to women and in a message that appeals to women. So it is, I think, the left and right are both inconsistent um, in their treatment of of women. And, and what I mean by that is on the, on the left, they, they have all these women's organizations, right? Like the National Organization for Women, National Women's Law Center, I can make the mm-hmm. list a mile long. And yet they will they will say effectively in their public policy positions and in their cultural posture that men and women are interchangeable and that they're exactly the same and that it's basically, you know, Mm. gender socialization that has caused, you know, there to be these different genders and expectations on the different genders. And then on the right, you'll have people say, well, of course, men and women are different. And that's why we see women um, on the whole making choices, um, that are primarily responsible for driving the wage gap, which you mentioned. Um, And so we'll recognize that there's these inherent differences between men and women. Um, But then when it comes to political communications, if you start to talk about men and women as different groups, then people on the right are very concerned about identity politics and they don't want, Mm -hmm. they don't want there to be a dedicated space or conversation about, you know, women um, in public policy and how we're affected by or how we drive different um, cultural and public policy phenomena. So that's sort of, to me, I think, an interesting inconsistency on both the left and right. the right. Um, yeah. it's, I, I believe women and men are not interchangeable, that we actually are inherently different. Um, but of course, when we have conversations about things like that, it's very uh, easy to fall into um, painting with a broad brush and um, we can forget that important aspect of individuality that despite the fact that many women will say, for example, many working moms, um, if you look at Pew Research Survey, suggest that um, many working moms prefer part-time work um, over full-time work and mm. more working fathers prefer full-time work probably because they're feeling the responsibility of being a breadwinner for their families and for their children. Um, however, just because that's the the rule or the majority, that doesn't mean there's not the exception where there's a stay-at-home dad and there's a, 
you know, a working mom who wants to sit in the corner office and be the CEO and work 100 hours a mm-hmm. week. You know, certainly um, people ought to be free to make those individual choices. But we can also <laughs> recognize that the broader context suggests that uh, that we do kind of tend towards these roles. And I agree that from certainly from the rights perspective that we want to treat everybody equally, of course, right? But um, when it comes down to it, I think that the Republican Party is really losing out on such an amazing opportunity of having the right messenger for the policy priorities that they are trying to pass. Um, you know, when you look at the fact that there are over 100 Democrat senators uh, or, or members of Congress and only like 20 Republican, um, clearly female, female Republicans in Congress. There is such a huge discrepancy there that it really, I, I think that you have to ask the question, um, what, why aren't more right of center women getting involved in policy and politics? And I think that that argument needs to be made not just to women, but men and women, right? Because men, men, <laughs> conservative men and women both care about um, freedom and, uh, you know, free markets and all of these other things. And if, if we're not, if we don't have people in positions of power that identify with voters, um, we're not going to be able to effectively get our policy priorities actually across the finish line. So I, you know, I, the, the longer that I've been around policy and politics, the more I've really come to find that I, that, and, and, and the more passionate I have become about making sure that uh, conservative women know that they're not alone, that they're qualified, um, and, that, and that we want them to get involved. Yeah. The, I mean, what you're and, saying about the messenger the messenger matters so much. I mean, that's my experience. Um, So I'm working in Colorado on this um, state task force on paid family and medical leave. I mean, there's an issue where um, if I sit there and I say, I've had two pregnancies, I've taken two maternity leaves. I know what this is like. I know the lived experience of taking family leave. That makes me a a different messenger than somebody who's not had that experience. You know, the fact, the fact that I'm a woman and that I know how, you know, these, I suspect I know how these policies will impact women in the workplace um, because of my lived experience as a woman in the workplace and as a working mom, that certainly matters. You know, it's not just um, how people perceive it or how they hear it, but it is a matter of, of credibility. So tell us more about the paid family and medical leave issues that you've been working on. What are what are you trying to get done yeah, there? So IWF, I feel like this is a thankless job, honestly, Ellen. I feel like any conservative who wants to work on paid family and medical leave, <laughs> like it's you know the, the unfortunate <laughs> reality is that this is one of those issues where the left has had a huge head start, and that because of the relationship to worker rights, um, and you know just to to advocating on behalf of workers, they've been in this space for a lot longer time. Um, Mm -hmm. And just because their, um, their worldview and their principles and their philosophy, I I mean, my, my, um, my fellow task force members on, on the left side of the aisle, it doesn't, they don't have any hangups or problems with using government to reach a specific end. You know, they don't have any mm. problem using government as the means to the end. Whereas if you're mm. a conservative, you've got a harder time with this issue, I think, because ultimately, I hope we would all like to live in a world where um, if you have a medical issue, if somebody in your family has a medical issue, if you have a new baby, if you adopt a, a new baby, um, if you adopt a foster child, you need some time in your personal life to um, 
you know, to, to not be working and <laughs> to be focusing on mm-hmm. whatever um, the, the big medical or family issue is. Um, and, and yes, I have a new appreciation right? for this issue after having three children. Sure. In three so, years. you know, you, you, you need the time and you want, you want people to take that time. You know, it's funny because I do feel like it, in a lot of ways it's a clash between my, um, my capitalistic leaning of, you know, productivity uber alles. Because if, you, if you're not in the workplace, if you're not working, you're not being productive for your employer. Right. And and there's a reason mm-hmm. why there's this dichotomy in, in the labor market where the trend is very good for people like you and me who have a college degree, who have um, some skills um, in the marketplace that you know, we're, we're harder to replace, basically. And our employers want mm-hmm. us to be happy. They want us to be happy with our job to the point that if we were to take some time out to have a baby or or whatever, that we would come back because they don't want to replace mm-hmm. us. There's a cost associated with replacing mm-hmm. us. Whereas on the other side of the labor market, there are men and women who are easier to replace. They don't have a high level of skill. Um, th- they are easier to, to train, to fill those jobs. Um, and that's where we see less movement in the private sector toward um, the paid leave benefits. Now, we see some, and it's because of, I believe, because of changes in tax and, and regulation policy that have allowed businesses to invest more in their workforce. And when you have a tighter labor market, employers are forced to offer these benefits um, to attract and retain workers of all types. Um, but it's much mm-hmm. more likely mm-hmm. if you're a higher income worker that you have some kind of paid family leave benefit. If you are a lower income worker, it's it's very unlikely that, that you have this benefit. Meanwhile, as a conservative and someone who, you know, has, um, you know, f- pro-baby pro-family attitudes, I hate the idea of somebody feeling like they have to go back to work because they live paycheck to paycheck and they've added a new family member or they've had a medical emergency um, and they just cannot deal with it. They have to go back. They have to be back in within two weeks of of a major event. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what brings us to this issue is that um, we care about reaching that outcome, that world where everybody has the time and resources that um, th- that he or she needs to address a family or medical issue. We just don't want to go about it the same way <laughs> that our counterparts on the left want to go about it. Um, so in the state of Colorado, um, we are considering something that's already been done in eight states, which is um, basically a new entitlement program where payroll tax is enacted. Uh, every worker pays into a, a fund that works like social insurance. That's the official name for it. Um, And you draw down a benefit when you have to take time out of the workplace. And the benefit, the idea behind the benefit is that it replaces your wages um, for a short period of time while you're out of work. And and of Mm -hmm. course, these policies are typically accompanied by job protection laws. And we have the Family Medical Leave Act, FMLA, at the federal level, which protects some workers for 12 Mm -hmm. weeks. Um, It doesn't require that their employers pay them, but it means for 12 weeks they can not come to work and still have that job. Um, and so some mm-hmm. of the state level policies um, expand those job protections to workers who are not FMLA eligible. And they go further than that by establishing this, you know, the state run um, tax and spend scheme. And I, I understand the reason why people support these programs, because again, I, I am not against paid family medical leave. I just prefer that we abide by a certain 
set of rules in order to get there, including, you know, that it's voluntary and that it doesn't <laughs> put a new tax burden, uh, particularly on low-income people. Um, and unfortunately, the reality is with a with an entitlement program, you, you can't do it in a voluntary way and you can't do it in a way that doesn't put a tax burden on people. So that's that's why I, I differ from my friends on the approach. We ought to be reminding women, you know, it's like with anything, do you want to entrust your health care to the government? Do you want to entrust your paid family medical leave? To the, do you want to entrust your birth control to the government? You know, anything that we entrust no. to the government to manage for no. us, we have to do so with the acknowledgement that it may not be as good <laughs> as what we can get otherwise. It's not going to be as good. It's going to take twice as long and it's going to cost three times as much. <laughs> and it may not replace our, you know, it may not replace our wages like yeah. our private sector employer is willing to yeah. do. It may not offer us the flexibility. I mean, some some women take time off for a new baby and then when they come back to work, they work from home for some time. I mean, we have these arrangements that are customized only because we have the freedom to customize those those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it gives me hope to know that uh, smart and nice people like you are working on these issues and, uh, you know, that, that, that we're not alone on this fight. And that, and hopefully this podcast is, is helping to highlight some of those stories and uh, helping to highlight issues that all, all issues are women's issues. And, uh, but, the, but that there's still a lot of progress that can be made uh, on a lot of these policy fronts. So thank you for all the work that you're doing there and for uh, raising your one-year-old and three-year-old and uh, doing all of that at once. It's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's, um, I try, you know, it's like um, you can see the glass half full or the glass half empty. You know, I, I think about my mom and my grandmother a lot who my grandmother was top of her class in high school, but didn't go to college because she went to work as a typist to support my grandfather's college tuition so that, you know, Mm. he would be the breadwinner and that she would, um, you know, she just had very few career opportunities in her generation. And then my mom, Mm -hmm. um, was a stay at home mom, but I feel like, um, in her generation, she was kind of, kind of belittled for that in a, in a, weird and sad way. It was the me generation. And it was like, you know, if you're not a working woman, then, you know, what's your, what's your value add? And of course now I feel like, I hope that the pendulum has swung one way and swung the other way and is now coming back to a happy middle where women can just respect one another's choices. But I think it's also the, the reality is we have more space in between these two extremes of um, being a professional woman and being a stay-at-home mom. And we can kind of juggle Mm -hmm. and kind of balance. And there's a whole vocabulary for for what we're doing. But I try to look at it as the glass half full in that um, I may not get to be 100% of the professional woman that I could be at this during this short chapter when my children are very young, but um, mm-hmm. but at least I get to continue to do some of the work that um, you know the professional work that I'm passionate about alongside my number one job, which is caring for my family. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, and and it's it's. Uh, it, it, like you said, it's all about trade-offs and it's all about choices. And it's something that I struggle with every day. Um, but you know, the seasons of life, it's just a season of life that we're in right now. Um, that I, I, it requires me to spend uh, more time with my kids than I obviously have had to in the past with only one kid or no kids. Um, and that's just, if, if it means that I have to make a trade-off by, uh, in my professional life, then that's what needs to happen. I mean, that's that's part of the certainly part of the reason that I didn't run for re-election. Um, you know, I had put in four 
hard years on the Austin City Council, and I, I decided that this the next season of life was um, to advocate in a different way through podcast or through book or through speaking and um, and also to be able to have the time to focus on my kids. And I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as uh, we're kind of going through these seasons of life together and we're seeing our peers go through them, you know, how does it, it's easy to have um, much more progressive views maybe when you're in college or uh, when you're not having to earn your own paycheck or pay, you know, see how much, see how the, how much the government is taking out in taxes or, um, start trying to start a small bit, but like, as you get older and, um, as you're having to earn your own living or as you're trying to start your own business and running up into government red tape or whatever it is, like, then you might tend to change your political career, political leanings. And so now as we're getting to the point where we're sending our kids to school and, um, you know, I'm certainly paying more attention to what's going on in our public schools and what's going on, um, in the curriculum and things like that, uh, you know, are, are, I wonder, I wonder how that's, how that's going to impact, um, others who are kind of going through this stage of life as well. Oh yeah. I mean, you become a homeowner and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're, you're concerned about the neighborhood safety and you're concerned about, you know, the neighborhood school. And, um, you know, as you get older, the idea is you, you have more resources and you have more experiences in life and you want to think about how to be a good steward of those resources. And you want to think about, you know, what your contribution is to the community and, um, what kind of world we're leaving to our children, you know? And so it's funny because I'm really averse to identity politics, but when you do slice and dice people by different groups, um, whether it's single people and married people or younger people, people and older people, um, there does seem to be some evidence that experience is a great teacher. (laughs) You know, that old saying that um, a conservative is just a liberal who's been mugged by reality. (laughs) I think there's (laughs) an element of truth to that, that, um, you know, the the reality in life, um, and I'll go back to what I said at the beginning, is that we have to make trade-offs and we have to make them as individuals and we also have to make them as as societies. And our government certainly has to make them in terms of, you know, the budget priorities or, um, you know, what our our next legislation that we're going to pass or how we engage in foreign policy and so forth. And so um, I think, you know, it's, it's, we all regret that we sort of turn into our parents as we get older. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. but I think what that really is, um, is our acknowledgement that um, life's not fair, and that we can't have a utopia on earth. And so how do we make the best of what we have? Well, I think that's a perfect note to end this podcast on. It gives me, I'm very optimistic kind of hearing you uh, talk about what you're working on, knowing that there are other young, um, passionate women across the country who are taking these, taking on these issues and able to present them in, in such a just relevant and a well-meaning way. So thank you for, th- thank you for doing that. Oh, tell us how people can get a hold of you to get in touch with you. Oh, sure. Um, well, I encourage everybody to follow Independent Women's Forum on Facebook and on Twitter. Our website is iwf.org um, and we're on every type of social media, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it. Um, my Twitter is at Hadley Heath. Um, so it's a good way to, to follow my work and um, advocate for, you know, the best public policy and be part of that conversation with them. So we appreciate what you've done and what you'll continue to do for the cause. Thank you. Do you have a story or a question you want answered? Send me a note at ellen at stepuppodcast.com. 
Also, give Step Up a rating and review in Apple Podcasts so we can reach and inspire more women. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm Ellen Troxclair. Thanks for listening. Now go advocate like a woman.